morning. I'm uh, Mike Fleming. I'm a, oh, well, hello. <laughs> the other two services never responded, so I'm not used to that. Uh, uh, my wife, Leanne, and I and our family have been members of Good News Church for almost 30 years, and we're part of the King Small Group, uh, which is great. <laughs> Y'all are awake. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock is much more awake. Uh, first, we'd like to welcome all those who are visitors uh, here today. We have a uh, welcome you, and in the um, seat backs, we have a connect card we'd like you to use to fill out with as much information as you feel comfortable providing and put it in the black boxes as you leave the room. Also, have great news. We've got Vacation Bible School starting on June the 12th. It's a tremendous opportunity, and uh, it lasts the whole week. Uh, parents and uh, Friends, if you haven't uh, registered your child, please do that as soon as possible. You'll really enjoy it. I'm up here today really to, uh, to talk about Memorial Day. Uh, I had the honor of serving in the, both as an enlisted Marine and an officer in the Marine Corps and in the Army, and fortunately retired as a Brigadier General, so I know a little bit about the military experience. And Memorial Day is different than Veterans Day. Veterans Day is a pure celebration of military service. Memorial Day is different. You don't say Happy Memorial Day because really it's a commemoration to commemorate those who've given all for our country. First, I'd like, uh, if you've served in the military, please stand up. Thank you. And now I'd ask uh, military family members, if you have a, a family member who served in the military, please stand up. Thank you. As uh, my wife, Leanne, can tell you, during my time in the service, almost 35 years, that uh, I was gone a lot because military calls you to be gone, and Leanne was uh, fortunate to have a great uh, wife who really understood that, and each military member uh, appreciates their, their family members. But what we wanted to do at Good News Church is go beyond thank you for your service. Many of you have said that before, which is nice, but how can we be proactive? And so Strider and I worked over a couple of months to develop a, a military support program here for Good News Church. And it's on goodnewschurchloves.com slash military. You'll see it up here. If you go to the next slide, it's got two elements to it. The first one is, is as you can see, it's commitment to love and support our military members. We have a great uh, system here with small groups that we provide support. Our staff also provides great support, and we're fortunate with the military. We have a lot of different organizations, the Veterans Administrations, Cohen Veterans Network, a lot of different ways that can be supported. So the first thing is we should support and understand the, the military experience, whether it's currently serving or someone who has served and then still has maybe some negative ramifications from their military experience. And so we want to support uh, those members of the military and their families. Second, if you go to the second slide, it's really is to become educated about the military experience. That's the one thing that, that each one of you can do. Because we have a, a challenge with veteran suicide now. We lose between 18 to 22 veterans a day to suicide of all generations. And it's very unfortunate. And less than 10% of the military, excuse me, the population of the United States have served in the military. So that means that if we're waiting on veterans to prevent veterans from from committing suicide, we've already lost that battle because there aren't enough of us. But we have 90% of the American population who, want to, who can be veterans champions, who want to do something. But sometimes you're intimidated because, hey, I wasn't in the service, who am I to ask somebody about their service? 
Well, we want to get beyond that and support. So you can get yourself educated. There's, uh, we have a program called a Watchstander program, and there's a, a video called 15 Things Veterans Want You to Know. It's only 15 minutes. You can, you can watch that, and you can learn about the military, and then you can become a watchstander to stand in the gap for the military members and their families. There's another video that talks about warning signs of suicide. And we have to be proactive about it. And if we can surround our veteran community with a community of love and caring like we have in this church, we can really make a difference. So I'd ask you to spend 15 minutes to an hour invest in learning about the military so you can be a veteran champion for our veterans and military members and their families. As Smiley comes up to speak, let us pray. Lord, we come to you now in prayer. We thank you so much that over the generations in our country, we've had men and women who've been willing to serve our country and the military and their families that support them. Fill them with your spirit of love and compassion, and Lord, fill us with love and compassion so our church can support these patriots. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Not only did Mike serve for a long time, but he, he was a Methodist circuit rider today. He, he, he did the host at 9 o'clock, and he drove to World Golf to our World Golf Village campus and did the host there at the 10 o'clock service and then came back to host here. So thank you so much for hosting for us. Um, we have a, a couple who are going to join Good News this morning, so if I could invite them up at this time. <clears throat> Get you guys right in the middle here. We have Billy and Henry Heigel. Heigel? Yep. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Two ways to go when I went the wrong way. Heigel. 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 Oh, there we go. And their children, Magnolia, Stella, and Jedediah. That a little better? Okay, good. Oh, they, they came to our Discover Good News, share with us their faith, and are coming to make good news their church family, and have some friends that are with them up here. Really glad to see them connected. So let me ask you these uh, vows. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and hopeless without His mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? I do. And do you promise to support the church in its worship, in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Billy, for Emery, for their beautiful family. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for them making good news, their church home. May their roots go deep here and may they continue to grow in you. Lord, thank you for their community here already. May they help them grow. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Encourage you after the service to make sure they feel welcome, but on behalf of Good News, we are so glad to have you guys part of Good News. Can I shake your hand? Move. Can you? Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, guys.
Sometimes we don't close loops, and a couple of weeks ago that Tony was really asking for gospel partners to help out for our splash events, and thankful for the people who stepped up to help out on a great, great event uh, last week. Thanks for all of you who, who stepped up to serve and help. The word gospel partner is a little awkward, but I wanted you to know I grew up in a family and I was never called a volunteer. That as a member of the family, you know, I was expected to, to be involved and to help. And so we really appreciate those who work together to help us make disciples. And so th these were the summer splash. We also had, uh, Tony's been talking about Vacation Bible School, and we've had some people step up to lead in that. And thank you so much for those of you who've said yes to helping out in that. Thank you very much. And we're really excited about that coming up. Oh, this week we saw three different people put their faith in Christ, and we rejoice with that. And what's neat is we saw two new people have an opportunity to introduce a friend to faith in Christ. And I'm praying that all of us this year, in 365 days, imagine if all of us had a chance to introduce a friend of ours to our best friend. Wouldn't that be a, an amazing, amazing year? And just think, that's just one person, each of us, uh, with God, we could certainly do that. Now, if you're new, we're studying through the book of 1 uh, Timothy, and we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, so if you have your Bible and want to turn there, and I'm going to ask you to do something, and, and I know you think I'm going to trick you, but I'm not trying to trick you. I did that a couple of weeks ago. But actually, if, if you're able to stand, if you would stand while I read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. In many churches, their tradition is to stand, so we pay more attention because this is the Word of God. So in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take, cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, you may be seated. Um, we, we could say that we live in a safety-obsessed culture, I mean, safety's kind of good, but, but we're obsessed with safety, and so we get some of the stupidest and silliest warnings on products, don't we? Like this one. <laughs> Caution, harmful, have swallowed. Thanks for the warning. I might have put it in my mouth otherwise, right? Uh, or, or how about the next one? Uh, with, with a scooter, a warning, this product moves when used. There's a correlation in life, isn't there? There's a correlation between danger and, and fun, right? And if you take away all the danger, there's not much fun left. And so we have these really, really silly warnings. The next one, uh, parents, I'm sure you need this. Caution, remove child before folding. <laughs> uh, thanks for the warning. Otherwise, I might have just folded them right up in there, right? Uh, but the next one's my favorite. Um, about an iron. Caution, do not iron while wearing shirt. And even though an iron comes with that, I did hear recently of a man who tried to iron a shirt while it was on. Bad idea. 
And those might seem silly and those might seem stupid, but God puts a warning on a product. He puts a warning on a product that many of us don't pay attention to. And the product that he puts this warning on is on money. And here's the warning that God puts with money. God says, avoid the love of money. God says, the love of money is dangerous, so avoid this. Um, I want you to know that we have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And Satan has a very limited playbook. What? A very, if you watch football, there's offensive coordinators have these really extensive playbooks, but Satan's playbook is very limited. He runs three plays over and over and over again, and they wreck life after life. And those three plays are money, the love of money, and sex and power, and they undo all kinds of people. Reminds me a lot of my beloved Florida Gators were playing LSU a few years ago. And LSU ran to the right, nine yards. And then they ran to the left, nine yards. And then they ran to the right, nine yards. And they just did it and did it. I said, can't anybody stop it? It's the same play. And Florida never stopped them. So why would you call a different play when the same play works every single time? And so it is, I watch family after family after family collapse. And it's three plays. It's one of the three, two of the three, three, but it's always one. It's, it's the love of money, it's sex or it's power, destroys family. I see it in the church all the time. Church leaders fall. It's always the same place. It's not a lot of plays. It's, it's money, it's sex, or it's power. It's the same thing. Our civil government, when civil governments, when our leaders get into trouble, what is it? It's the same thing, isn't it? It's the love of money. It, it's sex. It's power. It's the same plays run over and over again. And listen, I get tired of people wrecking their lives. Don't you? So here's the point we're going to explore today. The point we're going to explore is that Jesus frees us from the love of money. There is a danger, but Jesus frees us. Will you say it with me? That Jesus frees us from the love of money. Now, I want us to ask two questions. The first is, what is the love of money? What are we to watch out for? And secondly, how can Jesus free us from the love of money? So let's start by looking very carefully at 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. This is one of the most quoted yet misquoted verses in the Bible. It's quoted, but when it's quoted, it's always, almost always misquoted. See the misquote? Here's what we hear in our culture. What we hear in our culture is that money is the root of all evil. You've heard that, right? It's a double misquote. It's a double misquote. Now look at the first part. The Word of God, which we need to know, says it's not money that's the root. It's what is the love of money. And then the second misquote is the Bible says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And what's misquoted is people say money is the root of all evil, and that's not true. So it's very important if we want Jesus to free us that we know what His Word says and so what the Word of God says is that the love of money 
is a root of all sorts of evil. Now, the term love of money occurs three times in the Bible, once here. And then remember when we were in uh, chapter 3, a few months ago, we were learning about the qualifications for an elder, a ruling elder, or a teaching elder. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Then when elders are selected, one of the qualities is there to be free from the love of money because the love of money wrecks marriages and and families and businesses and churches and governments. The other place that we see this love of money is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Uh, How's your character? Uh, Is your character free from the love of money? So the love of money occurs three times, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and 6 and here in Hebrews 13. Uh, A similar phrase, lovers of money, occurs twice in the Bible, twice. In the book of Luke, Jesus said about the religious leaders of the time. In Luke 16, verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. So the religious leaders then were lovers of money. Now the Pharisees who were lovers, lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. The other passage that talks about lovers of money is 2 Timothy 3. And this year as we finish 1 Timothy, we're going to move into 2 Timothy. And when you come in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. And the Bible teaches the last days are the days between Jesus' first and second coming. So we're living in the last days, and we shouldn't be surprised that things are difficult, right? So what will it be like during that time? For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. One of the things that will be true of that time is that people are lovers of money. Now, now notice as we read through this, doesn't this sound like today, boastful, arrogant? (laughs) We're about to enter into a month where not only do we live in a culture determined to disobey God, but we're proud of our disobedience. So we take a month as a country to be arrogant and say, God, not only will we not live life your way, we're proud of it. Arrogant revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Don't we live in a time where good is called evil and evil is called good? Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. On this beautiful day, do you think beaches are more filled or houses of worship? Are we not a culture that is a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God, holding to a form of godliness? Oh, we still talk about God, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. So listen, uh, 
what is the love of money? The, the Bible warns us of it. There are three times the love of money, twice lovers of money. But to really understand this term, let's go back to chapter 6, verse 9. So, so what is the love of money? Uh, those who want to get rich. Uh, the love of money is that desire to get rich. They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. See the word desires? The Greek word there is epithumai. Epi is over and thumai. It's usually translated lust. And what a lust is, an over-desire. It's wanting good things badly. Very few people want bad things, but people want good things badly. That's what the love of money is. Money is a good thing, but people want it badly. Let me help you get there. Uh, money is a good tool, but a bad God. Money is a good tool, but a bad God. Often in our culture today, people will say that money's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. No, that's not true. Money's a good tool. It's a bad God. Uh, let me show you that. Do you know where money is mentioned for the first time in the Bible? Someone said it, Genesis 2. It's the first time, it's it, before the fall. Money is affirmed as good. Did you know that? Before there was a fall. You read chapter 1, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. And then we get to chapter 2, and verse 12, the gold of that land is good. Man, that gold is good. Money is a good tool. Aren't you glad there's money? I mean, what if there weren't money and you wanted to buy a car and you had to get 35 cows and take them down and trade them from the car? Aren't you glad there's money? Or if you wanted to buy a house, you'd have to get 300 cows and go and trade them from a house. Isn't money the one? It's a tool. It makes business prosperity possible. It's a good tool. But it's a bad God. When we make good things, ultimate things, we become idolaters and we have false gods. And, and that's what Jesus warned us of. And in, um, in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Now, Jesus said that you don't need to spend the rest of your life trying to prove Jesus wrong because you won't. No one means you and me. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and money. You must make a choice. Money is a good tool, but a bad God, a bad master. So back to 1 Timothy, verse 9, he says, But those who want to get rich, those whose God is money, they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If a church leader loves money more than God, then he's going to be dishonest in his ministry. If you have a business leader who loves money more than God, 
they're going to be dishonest in their business practices. When you have a civil government leader who loves money more than God, they're very open to bribes or selling their influence. So what is the love of money? It's an overlove of money. It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. It's taking something that's a good tool and making it a bad God. So we answered the question, what is the love of money? And now the second question is, how can Jesus free us from the love of money? How can he free us? He does two things. First, he satisfies our hearts. That's important to be set free. And secondly, he gives us great financial advice. So let's start with how Jesus satisfies our hearts. Remember last, week, last week's message was to avoid false teachers, to avoid false teachers. Watch out! And we learned the best way to avoid false teachers is to have sound doctrine. I'm sure you remember all this, and we learned sound doctrine has two qualities. The first is it's Christ-centered, and the secondly is it leads to godliness. And so we learn that, that uh, sound doctrine is Christ-centered. It teaches Jesus is the treasure. And then secondly, we saw that it leads to godliness, to following Jesus. Because when Jesus is our treasure, following him will be our pleasure. But we ended last week. <clears throat> what we saw was that false teachers see godliness, teaching people about God, is a way to get rich. And so that's why the passage begins today. But godliness, loving Jesus, treasuring Jesus, following Jesus, actually is a means of great gain. It leads to prosperity when accompanied by contentment. Uh, that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus alone satisfies the heart, that Jesus alone brings contentment. You see, the gospel has bad news. And the bad news of the gospel is that the problem is not money. The problem is our heart. The root of all evil is our heart is sin. Let me show you in, um, in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus was saying, to, was saying, that which proceeds out of the mouth, that is what defies the man, defiles the man. Do you know what that day the religious leaders were very careful what they put in their mouths. Uh, there are a lot of people like that today, right? But, but Jesus says what comes out of the mouth, that's way more important than what goes in the mouth because what comes out of the mouth reveals what's in our hearts. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and despise the man. The gospel says the problem's inside of us. It's our heart. It's sin. And the solution is outside of us. We need a Savior. We live in a culture. We live in a culture that says the problem is outside of us, and the solution is inside of us. No, no, the gospel says we are sinners by birth and we are sinners by choice. We were born sinners and so we sin. The root of all of our problems is our sin, is our heart. And because we love money too much, we lie and steal and cheat and are dishonest to get it. We sin because we're sinners.
What is a sin? It's a crime against God, and every one of us has committed crime after crime after crime against God. And the Bible says what we deserve for what we have done is hell itself. The problem's inside of us. It's sin. It's our heart. The solution's outside of us, a Savior. Oh, oh. let me tell you about Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like Jesus. He's, he's so gracious. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. We're sinners, we're hell bound, but Jesus loved us so much that he put on flesh. He left the glory of heaven to become poor, to be born in a stable. Jesus came for us. He lived a perfect life. He's the only one who ever got money right. And then he went to the cross And he became poor so that we might become rich. He took our sins upon himself and he experienced the wrath of God that our sins deserve. And Jesus stayed on the cross until he could cry out paid in full that the penalty for our sins had been paid in full. He became poor so that we might become rich. He died for our sins. He was buried. The third day he rose and he offers us riches. He offers us to make us richer than our wildest imagination. He offers us the greatest gift ever given, which is eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, the chance to do life with Jesus and eternity with him. And what does he require of us that we receive him as our Savior and Lord? Have you? Oh, the verse that changed my life, Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And if you've ever done something you'd like to be forgiven of, you can. Wouldn't you rather do life with Jesus than apart from him? Listen, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. Wouldn't you rather it be in heaven than in hell? So listen, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, won't you do that now? Right now, I'll give you that chance. Or when we close in prayer, I'll help you. But here's what that was like in my life. First, I admitted, Jesus, I've sinned against you. I've not handled money well. I've stolen so many things in my life. I've sinned against you. Won't you admit? And then I believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then I committed, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life and help me be the person you want me to be. And he did, won't you? Oh, and, and if you have, you know what what that means? The moment you believe, you went from being poor to being incredibly rich. He, 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 wants us, he makes us rich in Christ. What do I mean? The moment Jesus moves in, we're forgiven of all of our sins. I know so many people so tormented by all the things they've done wrong, and I go to bed at night knowing I'm forgiven. Isn't it good to be forgiven? Man, I get to do life with Jesus. I have a friend, and I have a purpose, and I have a future. And, and that's what he's saying in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness, when we do life with Jesus, actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment because Jesus satisfies our hearts so we can be content with him and whatever he chooses to provide for us. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. <clears throat> if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Man, if we have Jesus and we have food and covering, we can be content. 
So Jesus frees us from the love of money. How? He satisfies our hearts so that we can be content with him and what he chooses to provide for us. Secondly, he gives us great financial advice. Great financial advice. I want to show you that advice. See verse 11? He says, flee. Flee from these things. He says, as you look around you and you see life after life and church after church and government and government wrecked, run. There's many temptations the Bible says to resist. But there's certain temptations that wreck so many lives. The Bible says, run, flee. The Bible says to flee from the love of money. Don't think you can handle it. When it comes to immorality, the Bible says flee from it. When it comes to idolatry, the Bible says flee. Um, verse 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You know why I'm a Christian? I'm a Christian because the Christian faith is true. And I've been teaching you the standard of truth. Does it conform to the Bible? And the evidence of truth, does it conform to reality? And so the Bible teaches me the standard of truth teaches me that those who want to get rich fall into temptation. <laughs> when I look at the world around me, I see that's true and I see it happening all the time, don't you? And then we read, for the love of money. Here's what the standard says. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <laughs> I see it every day. I see families wrecked by the love of money. And so when Jesus says, flee, I want to flee because I don't want to wreck my life. I see church leaders every day of my life who wreck their lives through the love of money. And Jesus says, flee. What would make me think I'm more godly than them? The Bible says, flee. I want to flee. Don't you? Every day I observe government leaders, don't you? And they get caught up in the love of money and they wreck their lives and those they follow. And Jesus says, flee. Don't imagine you're more godly than them. Run. Um, great financial advice. Flee the love of money. Uh, isn't this what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12, verse 13? Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said, Beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Oh man, I know people and they read every label before they eat it. And I'm not saying that's unimportant. But when God says what? Beware! How many of us pay any attention at all? Beware and be on your guard. How many of us listen? And yet we see lives wrecked all the time, don't we? Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. <laughs> I love a millionaire, and he was asked, how many millions are enough? Yeah, the next one. The next one. 
How many of us are like that? You know, the next one I'll be satisfied, right? Uh, and he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I don't want God to say that to me. Do you? And that's why we flee from the love of money. You fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the first piece of financial advice Jesus gives us is when you see others whose lives are wrecked by the love of money, don't imagine it couldn't happen to you. Learn from that and flee. And then the second piece of advice he gives us, if we, wanna, uh, if we want Jesus to free us from the love of money, is to give. Is to give. One of the best ways to free our hearts from the love of money is to give. And that's why Jesus calls us on the, on the first day of the week to give to him. In Malachi 3.10, we read, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Sunday comes, we come to spend time with him, we bring a tenth and we give it to him. So that there may be food in my house. Yes, so there's food in God's house. And test me now in this as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Couple after couple, come to me, smiling. We used to be in love. We've fallen out of love. How do we fall back in love? Can it happen? Sure. Well, how do we do it? It's really simple. Spend more time with each other. Spend more money on each other. That's all you got to do. Have you fallen out of love with your spouse? Just spend more time together. Spend more money on each other. What did Jesus say? He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Have you fallen out of love with Jesus? You want to cultivate your love with Jesus? Spend time with Him. When Sunday comes, spend time with Him. When He invites you to have breakfast, spend time with Him and spend money on Him. Listen, on the first day of the week, when we bring the first 10% and we give it to the Lord, we say, Lord, all that we have is yours. And Lord, you've been so good to us. And you know, when we give to Him, our heart follows our treasure. <laughs> and as we love the Lord, He frees us from the love of money. When we bring the first 10%, we're saying, God, I'm not trusting in my money for the future. I'm trusting in you. Because you said that if I brought the first 10% in, you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon me. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that Jesus frees us from the love of money. How? He satisfies our hearts. He satisfies our heart. And then he gives us great financial advice. When it comes to the love of money, flee. And secondly, if you want to protect your heart, give to the Lord first. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> so that brings us to our uh, action step for the, the week. And uh, it's almost un-American, isn't it? To be content. Don't we face an entire advertising industry that wants us not to be content? 
And not only that, it's, it's all these activists in our country too, and they're trying to get us upset with each other, right? And the Bible calls us to something radically different, to be content with Jesus in whatever he chooses to provide for us. Let me show you that in Hebrews 13. <clears throat> Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be careful. <laughs> it's a good tool. It's a bad God. Being content with what you have. So what do we have? Well, first of all, we have Jesus. <laughs> For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? <clears throat> uh, I want to share with you how I seek to be, thankful, to be content with Jesus and what he chooses to provide. It starts with being thankful. One of the best ways to learn to be content is to be thankful for what we have. And it starts with being thankful for Jesus. Every day of my life, I say, Jesus, I am so thankful to know you and that I have forgiveness for my sins and that I know that my failure is not fatal. Thank you. And every day of my life, I say, Jesus, I am so thankful. I get to do life with you. I have a friend who's moved in, says he's never leaving. I'm really good at disappointing people. Do you know what makes me rich? Jesus says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever. Don't we long for a friend like that? I have that. That's why I'm so rich. Not only do I have a friend, I have a purpose. And I'm old and ugly, and most people just say, you know, your life is shot. But you know what Jesus says? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He gives all of us, don't we see people who are wasting their life because they have no purpose? And we have a purpose big enough to give our lives to. You know what else I have? I have a future. Um, uh, did you know none of us are getting out of this alive? Did you know that? And life here on earth is so, so short. Um, but you know what? I know where I'm going to spend eternity, do you? One day the disciples came back and, and they were so excited about what was happening in their ministry. And Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are, are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. One of the things that helps me to be content in this life is I know what? Something better is coming. Something better is coming. The best is yet to come. And so, listen, one of the ways that helps me be content with Jesus and what he chooses to provide is to take time each day to be thankful for Jesus and then to be thankful for all the good things he's given me to enjoy. <laughs> Have you ever noticed morally and materially we compare ourselves to different people? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, morally, we tend to compare ourselves with who? People that are worse than us, don't we? Well, I'm not that bad. I don't do what they do. But materially, what do we do? Materially, we compare ourselves, what, to the people who are ahead of us, and we think we don't have enough. But I want you to know something. I am richer than more than, than over 90% of the people who've ever lived on this planet. How can I not be content with Jesus and what he chooses to provide? Do you know what I have? I have a house. 
and I have a bed, and I have electricity. Do you know how few people in history have had electricity? I have air conditioning. I have indoor plumbing. I have more food in my refrigerator than I'm going to eat today. Lord, thank you. You have been so good to me. I have more clothes than I have on you, me. And you say, I'm glad to hear that. It's true. But I'm so, you want to have a car, and it works. I am incredibly rich, and so are all of us. That's why if we're going to be content with Jesus and what he chooses to provide, listen, then we need to learn to give thanks for Jesus and all the good things that we have to enjoy. The second thing that really helps me to be content is to share Jesus with others. <laughs> Listen, what's so cool about Jesus is the more we share him with others, the more we enjoy him ourselves. And uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed it, but every month we put out a study and we plead with you. If you haven't picked one up, we're reading through the book of Acts. We'd love for you to do it with us. And what we encourage you to do four days a week is to read a chapter of the Word of God. And then pray what you read, and then every day go and share what you learned. Imagine what would happen in your life of being content if you would read and pray and share His Word daily. And the same thing happens on Sunday. On Sunday we come to hear His Word. We want to hear His Word, then we want to, help me what? We want to pray His Word, Lord. Help me to be content with you and what I have. Lord, free me from the love of money. We want to hear his word and then pray his word, and then we want to go and share his word. How many of us know people who are wrecking their lives and their family and business because they're caught up with the love of money? Listen, let's go and share with them. How many people do we know who are suffering from OCD? No, not what you think, not obsessive-compulsive disorder, but they're suffering from obsessive-comparison disorder. They're always comparing themselves to the best moments of other people, and they're so miserable. Let's go and share with them. They listen, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But you know what, Jesus, when Jesus moves into us, we can learn to be content with Jesus and whatever He chooses to provide. Oh, dear people, what we've heard our culture needs to hear so desperately. We have leaders in our country, both in the civil government and in other elite leaders, and they are seeking to divide us. They want us to resent what other people have. And let me ask you, how do you think that works out when our leaders very intentionally divide us against each other where do you think that leads? That's why I'm praying, and I plead with you to pray for revival, to pray for a spiritual awakening in our land, because as our leaders divide us, and a revival and spiritual awakening doesn't happen, a very frightening future happens. Um, and so this week, when we're with people, and they resent what other people have, when you're with people this week and, and they talk about how divided our country is, won't you say, could I share with you? Could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? What we learned in church on Sunday is that Jesus brings contentment. 
what people need in our country more than anything else is they need Jesus. And we have him. How can we keep him to ourselves? There is a verse we need to hear today. There is a verse everyone in our country needs to hear today in our divided culture. Here it is. Let you, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. What every heart needs is not more money. What every heart needs is more Jesus. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, you have Jesus. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Who has a friend like Jesus? So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that though you were rich, for our sake, you became poor. Thank you for coming, dying, and rising so that poor sinners could be rich, rich children of God. Listen, if perhaps for the first time you've understood the gospel, you've, you've never received Jesus as Savior and Lord, you'd like to become rich beyond your wildest imagination, Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be Lord. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you or tell someone. Jesus, I pray for all of us who've received you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see that once we were poor, but now we are rich. Lord, this week, may we learn to be content, to be content with you because we have so much in you, to be content with you in whatever you choose to provide because you have been so, so good to us. Lord, help us this week to be thankful. And the Lord, send us out this week. Send us out this week to share with others what we've learned today. That what we need in America more than anything is not more money. We need more Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name.